morning, good morning everyone and what a beautiful day it promises to be. Uh, we are here today looking at the second or actually the first chapter of our book that we've just started yesterday. The book is called Born Rich by Bob Proctor and um, already we're enjoying it and we're only into the first uh, couple of pages. So this is the time, everybody, that we suggest that you do your shares because in doing your shares, you give other people the opportunity to hear the podcast. Who do you know who is needing some advice about themselves? <laughs> Let's put it bluntly, about themselves. Are they people who could use some help understanding that they have a lot to offer no matter who they are and this born rich is going to help them and because we're right at the beginning of this book it's a perfect opportunity for them to be able to get on board and um and be part of the uh, the process so um I also want to take this opportunity right now to say a big thank you to everybody who supports the podcast in the background. And I know we have Lise and Mathieu who welcome everybody onto the podcast, onto Podbean. And Jacqueline, we are so grateful for everything that you do, that you put into um, the Millionaire Les Diamants group. There's so much information in there. So Jacqueline Stockley, thank you so much for adding extra value to our podcast mornings. So this morning, we are going to dive straight in and, um, and we are looking at the first chapter. And I, call, I like the title of this chapter, Me and Money. And um, I'm going to be telling you like a few stories this morning and uh, in between the stories, talking a little bit about them. And then um, Marie-Pierre is actually going to start to talk to us about prosperity consciousness. So uh, that is a, a good title. So the first story is this. In 1923, Eight of the world's wealthiest financiers met at Edgewater Hotel in Chicago. These eight men controlled more money than the United States government at that time. They included the president of the largest independent steel company, the president of the largest gas company, the greatest wheat speculator, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, a member of the president's cabinet, the greatest bear on Wall Street, the head of the world's greatest monopoly, the president of the Bank of International Settlement. Certainly one would have to admit that a group of the world's most successful men was gathered in that place or at least men who had found the secret of earning money. Now, let's see where those men were 25 years later. The president of the largest independent steel company, Charles M. Schwab, 
lived on borrowed money for five years before he died bankrupt. The president of North America's largest gas company, Howard Hobson, went insane. The greatest wheat speculator, Arthur Cutton, died abroad insolvent. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, was sent to Sing Sing Penitentiary. A member of the president's cabinet, Albert Fall, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. The greatest bear on Wall Street, Jesse Livermore, died of suicide. The head of the greatest monopoly, Ivor Kruger, killed himself. The president of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Fraser, also died of suicide. Each of these men had well learned the art of earning money, but it would seem that none of them had ever learned how to live the rich life, which was their birthright. And, you know, as I was reading this section, I was re reminded of the podcast, uh, of the uh, Netflix series that is currently running, which is called How to Be Rich. And during that Netflix series, the presenter, he talks all the time about, are you living your rich life? What is going to be your rich life? And so it would seem to me that, you know, a lot of very, very wealthy people, and we've seen it when people win the lot lottery, they don't know how to live their, live their rich life, so they squander their money. So many, when, well, many well-meaning people, when they would hear the story about these rich people, they would say, well, I told you, money doesn't buy happiness. See, it's not good to have a lot of money. It's bad. It goes to show you that rich people aren't really happy. Or they might also, you know, come up with other phrases to describe the fact that um, money is not good for you. Of course, this is not actually true because um, money will have a greater influence on your life than any other single commodity. So we all know that if we get a sudden uh, influx of money. I mean, who has done their tax returns recently and suddenly realized they're getting a tax rebate? Whoa, everybody's excited. But what a lot of people will do is just go out and spend it. Because what they'll say to themselves is, oh, well, I didn't know I had that money, so I'm just going to spend it. But, but the reality is they already gave it up. They should get it back and now invest it because now your money is working for you, not you working for your money. So um, this is a, a typical reaction of people when money comes into them. And we also know that when money goes out suddenly, that can put a tremendous strain on a marriage. 95 people out of 100 settle for what they get you would think that everybody would understand money because it is so important. Many people wish they had more from the moment they're born 
till the moment they die, never really understanding that they could have had as much as they wanted. So money is important and there is absolutely no uh, way that you can get around that. And um, a lot of people will say things to you like, money is not important. I don't care about money. Money is, I can, I just want to be happy. And um, when you look at, at uh, the people around them and they say, I don't care about money, then you have to ask yourself, well, I wonder if the car dealer that they're trying to negotiate with compares, cares about money. I wonder if the grocery store where they buy their food cares about money. I wonder if the bank who's lending them a mortgage cares about money. Of course they care about money. And if they care about money, you better care about money because otherwise you're going to find you're paying more money than you need to. Nothing can take the place of money in the arena in which it is used. So the next section is, is really important to understand, that money is a servant. You are the master. If this re equation is reversed, you get big trouble. So when you have a situation where people are using other people to make money, then the, the situation is unbalanced. What you need to remember is that money is a servant and you are the master. You must love people and use money. At our MLM, we are selling things to help people save time, save money, eat more healthily, and be a solution to pollution. In that process, we are making money, but we are not selling people um, as much plastic as possible to get as much money as possible. We are always asking the question whether what we will do will help them save time, save money, eat more healthily, and be a solution to pollution. And we will always respond to them when they want to buy stuff to ask them whether they would like to join Tupperware. We, would, we are giving our 25% commission to people so that they can have the benefit of making the purchase. We are letting the money work for us because in the process, we're having new people join our business all the time. When people have money, sometimes the comments you get often are, oh, you're so lucky. Oh, they were lucky to be in the right place at the right time. And I hear this from my brother all the time. You're so lucky, you and Alan. Like, you get to live how you want. Well, the thing is in life is you make your own luck. You make your own path. There are no free rides in life. Money is an effect and must be earned. Good fortune is a factor in financial success, but it must be coupled with effort and hard work. Okay, money must circulate. 
this, this is something that um, I, I really like this because we all, we, I guess we take it for granted, but when you actually look at how people behave with money, it's very interesting. It's only valuable if it's being used. So think about yourself. Do you have like a change jar or a piggy bank or something where every time you have a big lump of change, you dump it into the piggy bank? Well, while it's there, it's useless. It's just sitting there. It's not getting any interest. It's not buying anything. It's not working for you. It's just innate on the, on the counter or wherever you keep it. And it only becomes useful when you empty it and decide what to do with it. So it's, that money is not in circulation. That money is debt. And you know, when um, money is recalled to the mint and um, it's disposed of, like that money that had so much value has now completely disappeared. So money is only useful when it's in circulation. And to highlight that a little bit more, I have a story for you. So this is a story about Mr. Chapman. Mr. Chapman was an elderly gentleman who lived a few doors down the street from our family when I was just a boy. Although there was a tremendous age difference between us, Mr. Chapman and I became fast friends. And I often used to watch him pushing his small junk chart cart up and down the block. Mr. Chapman worked as a junk dealer and he made his living by picking up the things other people had thrown away. As the years went by, Mr. Chapman became more and more stooped from his arduous labors. One day, shortly after World War II, he passed away. Since he lived alone and apparently had no close relatives living nearby, the police entered his house to take stock of his possessions. Not surprisingly, they found the house littered with many old furnishings and assorted memorabilia from Mr. Chapman's past. They also discovered over $100,000 in old bills packed in boxes throughout the house. $100,000 in 1945, that's a lot of money. Quick to pick up on so unusual an occurrence, the Toronto Daily Star carried a front page story the next day about Mr. Chapman, asking the obvious question, why would an individual worth well over 100,000 choose to keep his money stashed away in old boxes strewn haphazardly in his house. And even um, Proctor says that he was very young and he asked himself the question, why would Mr. Chapman live like a pauper when he had all this money? And the reason that, um, the reason is because he took money out of circulation. His money never worked for him. Imagine what all that money could have done if he had invested it, if he had employed people even to invest it, to give uh, them jobs and make that money work. And really, this story takes us back to the Bible. 
And yes, it, I mean, I can tell from Bob's writing that he uh, is a, a religious guy, but who remembers the story that you were told when you were little about the three slaves who worked for a very rich master and the rich master um, was about to go to abroad. So he called his slaves over and he decided to give each of them, they call it talents. So he gave each of them some talents. He gave the first one five talents, he gave the second one three talents, and he gave the third one one talent. And he sent them off in the world and he said, when I return, I want to, um, I will get my money back and settle the account. So the first slave bought his five, dollar, five talents back, which he had doubled. The second slave bought his three talents back, which he had doubled. And the last slave says, well, master, I know that you are a hard man. All you think of doing is making money. You get rich while other people do the work. I lost my nerve. I buried the talents in the ground. I didn't want it stolen. Here's your money back. And the master said, you're a bad and lazy slave. You knew I'd get rich while other men work, did you? You should have taken my money to the bankers then. At least you would have got some interest on the money. And for this um, man, he, he threw him into prison. And the other two, he gave, um, he gave extra um, responsibilities and work. And it's a very simple story, but the story illustrates exactly that. If money is not working, it is useless. It is like burying it in a hole in the ground. It's like leaving it in the piggy bank forever. So when you die, you have a great big piggy bank full of money with nothing in it, nothing that you can do with it at that point. So money is not meant to be hoarded. It's meant to be used, enjoyed, and circulated. So just one note of caution. That doesn't mean that you, whenever you get money in your purse, you should run out and spend it, right? We're not talking about squandering it. We're not talking about spending it on nothing at all. We're talking about making your money work for you. When you get that extra tax return back from the government, what are you going to do with it? Think about it now. Don't just spend it because you didn't know you would have it. View it as money that now you can work with. So um, to go on with about uh, the prosperity consciousness, I'm now going to pass over to Marie-Pierre. Thank you, Melanie. So yes, now that uh, we have understand a little bit about the elders uh, characteristic, I can hear myself. I don't know where it's coming from. <laughs> I think it's good. Okay. So yes, now that we understand a little bit some of the characteristics of money, now it's turn to a simple technique that we can use immediately to start attracting the amount of money that we want. So there are many, many exercises that you can use to develop the prosperity consciousness and build an abundance mindset. But no one of those exercises is better or worse than any other. It's all about finding the techniques that are working for you. 
So there's seven most popular exercises that you can implement. So number one is developing a strong morning routine. So a lot of people under, underestimate the power of the first hour of their day. So when you start off on the right foot, you set the stage for a positive day, helping you create more prosperity. Number two is the affirmation for prosperity consciousness. So if you understand how affirmation works, then it becomes clear that there's no right or perfect affirmation for you to use, like the techniques, you have to find those that are working for you. And usually the affirmation will work depending on how you feel at that time. So you have to have a lot of affirmations. So at different moments in the day or at different moments in the week, in the month, you will use a, a different affirmation that you need at that time exactly. So if you need some inspiration or affirmation for financial abundance, I have a few examples for you. So I am open to all the abundance the universe has to offer me. I am worthy of abundance and success. I am grateful for all the abundance I currently have in my life. I release all, all, any negativity, feeling or belief that hold me back from receiving abundance. I expect to receive unlimited abundance in all areas of my life. I attract success and abundance with ease. I have the power to create my own financial security. I am open to new opportunities to increase my wealth. I am alignment. I am in alignment with the abundance and prosperity, and I am a magnet for success and prosperity. So you just have to choose what is really working for you in those affirmations. Technique number three is do a rampage of appreciation. So working with affirmation is a great habit, but an even more powerful exercise is to learn how to do a rampage of appreciation. So these are basically string of affirmation and positive aspect of things that you like. So when taken together, they create a powerful momentum towards your goal. Technique number four, keep a gratitude journal. Oh yes, <laughs> it's coming back. <laughs> so writing hard while you believe more quickly um, than spoken repetition. So studies show that keeping a daily gratitude journal just for three weeks will rewire your brain for the next six months. So this is a technique not to overlook. Yes, keeping a gratitude journal. Technique number five, it's play with automatic writing. So this is a form of writing that teaches you to tap into your intuition. So when you connect with your subconscious mind in this way, you can more easily insert desire and empowering belief about money. So automatic writing. Technique number six is to use, I said seven, I have six. I, <laughs> I got it wrong. <laughs> There's six. <laughs> so number six is use visualization exercise. So don't hesitate to straighten your belief through visualization. So techniques like clarifying your goal and creating a vision board go a long way toward cementing an abundant mindset and developing prosperity consciousness. So the example that they give us in the book about visualization. So you have to begin in a quiet and relaxing place where you won't be disturbed. And there's three steps in this one. So take three deep breaths and start with number one. So number one, 
It's picture yourself in your mind's eyes sitting in a room with several of your friends. So you can do this exercise now if you want. Maybe you will do it later. <laughs> But you can start with that. So picture yourself sitting in a room with several of your friends. Step number two is visualize yourself announcing your intention to become wealthy. So you have all your friends around you and you're announcing your intention to become wealthy. Imagine how that, that makes you feel. For a lot of us, you will feel really uncomfortable because talking about money is not really something that we are used to, to do it with our friends. So for a lot, you will feel like saying, oh no, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> And just go to talking about something else. So yes, visualize yourself announcing your intention to become wealthy and imagine it, uh, the number of time that you need to not feel like you're joking at the end. <laughs> and number three is to see yourself again with the, your mind eyes already in the possession of the amount of money that you desire. So the more you perform this exercise, the more you will become comfortable with money and you will start attracting it to yourself. So if this uh, lasts a few steps, <laughs> you uh, seems like a sheer fantasy to you, Just ignore them for the time being and continue just with the, the, the other techniques to bring that prosperity for you. So yes, you will be dealing with the prosperity consciousness at different points in your life and you can start with the easiest for you. Again, there's a lot of technique. Those are the six that the people usually use, but you can choose in that one those one and which one is the best for you it's not all of those but you have to choose which one that you want to start with to bring that prosperity to you so i hope it's a great i i think it's a great introduction again for the book yes it's the first chapter but i feel like it's again just an introduction on how we will talk about money in the, this book. So I hope it gives you a nice, some things to think about <laughs> for the weekend. And we will see you on Monday. So have a happy weekend and see you on next week. Bye, everyone.